Have you noticed a little pattern this summer? That we've been in the gospel readings and particularly in the gospel of Luke. And the reason why is because we're following the lectionary. We haven't always done this, but we have been the past few years. And the lectionary readings, this is just a compilation of scripture readings that the church around the world adheres to. And these readings are set up in a three-year cycle. All right, your A, your B, and your C. Well, if you're doing the Gospels, which each year focuses on one Gospel, well, year A is going to focus on what Gospel then? You tell me. Matthew, right? And then year B, Mark. Year C, which is the one we happen to be in this year, all right, which will be ending very soon, actually. I mean, as fast as time's rolling for me. In November, this year will end, and we'll reset to A, but Luke. Luke is year C. And so that's why we've been journeying through uh, these gospel readings in Luke. And so Luke has been for us just a staple item. But more so, Luke is pointing. He's writing because of Jesus. All right. Now, what we've kind of done, and the way I've been sort of looking at this, is we're taking a road trip with Jesus. Like, that's basically what we've been doing. Right? We're following him on the road. In fact, since we got into the summer period, we've moved past chapter 9 in Luke, which is where... Peter makes that confession. It's that turning point. Remember the confession? You are the Christ. And what does Jesus do after Peter makes this confession? He's as far north as he's going to go geographically. He then turns his face where? To Jerusalem. And he's going to now head to Jerusalem and nothing is going to get in his way. Kind of like our trip that we took out west last summer. We were going to get to California, by golly. Even if we broke down which we did, even if we had to go through desert, which we did, even if we had to go through rain or storm or sunshine, we were going to make it to California. And Jesus has set his face to Jerusalem to go to the cross. But on the way, I think Luke wants us to join him on the road, road tripping with Jesus. And when you road trip with someone, have you noticed that you learn a lot about them? Anybody been on a road trip with, you know, some people, right? Like in fact, when, when uh, Pastor Bruce first came on with us, we did a road trip kind of. We went all the way up to Montana, got all the way out in the, in the woods together, and we hiked for three days on bear tooth something or another. It scared me just because of the name because I'm not real fond of bears, right? And we went out into the wilderness with another dude, and you learn a lot about people on a road trip, don't you? We can't really learn a whole lot about each other here just within an hour or so of being around in one another in a public place. No, you got to get in a car. You got to smell each other. You got to eat together and hear them smacking that food, right? You got to hear the slurping of and think, man, wow, they really do a lot to take care of that old body of theirs, right? I mean, road tripping with somebody's next level relationship. Anybody with me? What I think Luke is inviting us to is to join Jesus on the road trip to Jerusalem. And what we're going to find is that, is that Jesus is not always going to just focus on the bright, sunny days. Instead, as we'll see in our text today, things get gloomy on a road trip. There's clouded days, there's days of thunderstorm and of peril. So join with me as we look at this reading and stand with me as we honor God's gospel reading for us today. I'm reading from the RSV, 
Notice these words in Luke chapter 12, and we'll drop down to 49. Jesus said, I came to bring fire to the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled. I have a baptism with which to be baptized, and what stress I am under until it is completed. Do you think that I have come to bring peace to the earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. From now on, five in one household will be divided. Three against two and two against three, they will be divided. Father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother. Mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. He also said to the crowds, when you see a cloud rising in the west, you immediately say, it is going to rain, and so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say, there will be scorching heat, and it happens. Hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time. Jesus, thank you for your word. Help us to digest this word into our souls, into our actions. By the power of your spirit, we pray. Amen. And you may be seated. Finding myself in Mississippi last week, preaching a revival, I was preaching every day, but every day something happened with the weather there in Mississippi. And like here, the weather is quite unpredictable there in Mississippi. And every single day it was scorching heat, but beautiful outside. And I took a couple walks around in the country because, well, I just don't get to do that here, right? The country here, I can still hear cars passing, you know? I can still hear the hustle and bustle of work. But there, all I heard was cows, all right? Birds, <laughs> cicadas, <laughs> and so on and so forth. Uh, and, but every single day, not only did I enjoy a nice, sunny walk in the countryside as I was praying and I was seeking God or driving to Jackson, Mississippi to meet with people, but something happened every afternoon, which was a thunderstorm. And some of the days, it got really nasty. I'm talking about pouring down rain. In fact, one day I was about to take a shower, and my grandmother and my mother refused to let me because it was lightning so bad, and I'm so glad that they did. Them being overprotective mothers as they are, they're like, you really don't need to do this, okay? And, and so I was like, ah, it'll be fine. It's not a big deal. About that time, we had two, actually three pops of lightning that had no difference from when they were lighting up the sky and the sound of them. It literally sounded like it was hitting us. And so I was thankful for that. And then it would turn sunny again. This was the same day. My point is this. I think we're dealing with Jesus in the same way. He's the same Lord, even if he brings justice and judgment, represented by the thunderstorm clouds, or the beauty and vision of heaven. For truly, we cannot get to heaven without dark, gloomy days. Dear friends, we are called to suffer with Christ, to go into the valley of the shadow of death with Christ. As you just uttered from your own mouth, if he descended to help us all the way down, so too we will be called to go down into the dark places of this world to shed the light of Christ, even there, to offer hope, maybe mostly in 
the low parts of our world. And so, with that in mind, this is the same Jesus who brings the bright and the gloomy. And so, this passage, although difficult, and I hope you have wrestled already in hearing it with the difficulty of this passage. We, like anybody, would say, oh, Jesus, uh, aren't you the Prince of Peace? (laughs) Uh, Why are you saying you're coming to bring division? Don't be so contentious. And we must remember, dear brothers and sisters, that Jesus ended up on a Roman execution tool known as a cross, not because he was a nice guy, but because they understood his claim to be God and Lord. A claim that would bring down the powers that be. Do you remember when Simeon held up Jesus in the temple? This old man with these old hands that represented the Old Testament covenant and Old Testament promises. And now he was told he would see the fulfillment of God's justice. And when he held that little baby up and prophesied over Jesus, which means Savior and Redeemer, it wasn't good news for some people. People in positions of power, misusing their structures. He says, this baby is going to pull those structures down. He's going to throw a wrench into the well-oiled machines of evil. And if you're operating those machines and pulling those levers and pushing those buttons and oiling those things to become evil or to get what you want out of this world, this sort of self-centeredness, then those structures are going to be pulled down. Those machines are going to stop because of this baby. What a testimony. And yet the angels are singing, there's going to be peace because this one has come to earth. Now, what did Jesus do? Of course, he set up his kingdom. Okay? And his kingdom has to destroy all other kingdoms. There is no other kingdom that will last forever because this is the correct kingdom. This is the rightly ordered kingdom. <laughs> so, yes... Jesus is the Prince of Peace, but like all princes before him that enjoyed a time of peace, there must be war. There must be an identification of who is our enemy. In other words, the world, wouldn't you agree, is not peaceful And so if there's going to be peace in the world, it's not going to be by just simply starting a little bonfire, holding hands and singing Kumbaya, and feeling something in the night air. Because unfortunately, when one wakes up the next morning, the world is the same. That is a shallow peace. That is a peace that is not deep like what the Lord wants to bring. He wants to bring a peace that shatters the enemies of love, shatters the enemies of forgiveness and mercy and help to the poor, those forgotten, 
those mistreated, all of the injustices of our world. He wants to shatter those kingdoms, those systems and structures. So for peace to come, for the Prince of Peace to bring about his peace, there must be war. There must be a spiritual war. Now, now, now to be clear, God is not at war with anything. He is ultimate, right? Satan is not equal to God and they're somehow hashing it out. That is not the way we are to view it. God is above all things. Satan means nothing to him in this regard. Instead, the war is with us. The war is a spiritual war. As Christians, the answer to bringing peace to the earth is not to pick up weapons of this world, is it? No, it is to identify our spiritual enemies and fight a spiritual battle with, guess what? Spiritual tools of war. How would we ever think that we could fight it with the material world? No, no, if we're going to fight, if we're going to be in this spiritual warfare, and, and could I ask you again, as you've read the Bible, haven't you seen on every page there is a spiritual war, a spiritual battle? You see what God has done, right? God is not in a battle at all. He doesn't struggle to become one, <laughs> to become ultimate, to be king. He doesn't struggle at all, but he joins our struggle. Because of our rebellion, we have allowed things into our life, into our world. And we've participated in this evil. And he comes down. We just said it, didn't we? He comes down to be our king and to set up a new kingdom, a new community, a new way of being human. By the Spirit. In the Spirit. So, what are these uh, spiritual enemies? I think we can safely say they're these three. The flesh, the world, and the devil. These are our spiritual enemies. Again, let's be clear. Let's just take a moment to make sure we're clear on this. People, flesh and blood, are not our enemies. So when you get all wound up, and then you want to go blast someone, and you crush their spirit, that is not God's way, dear brothers and sisters. Let his word, his spirit, do the crushing. We are to speak the truth in love, but we are not to go and fight against flesh and blood. These are victims of the enemy, and we are called to rescue them, just as Jesus did. Not get angry at them. Getting, have you ever noticed that change doesn't happen in your life because somebody's angry at you? Like how many of us, your spouse comes to you and they ain't happy. And that helps you change, right? How many times have I told you, like, we shouldn't take the garbage out like that because the dog's going to get in there. And you're mad. And you're like, oh, you know what? Thanks for being so angry at me. That really makes a lot of sense. That'll never happen again. <laughs> really, appreciate, really, really appreciate you raising your voice at me. The veins coming out, you know? Love it. Thank you. No. No. And yet, <laughs> there is a right way to take out the garbage, isn't it? <laughs> and we must speak that to one another, but we speak it in love. So let's get that out of our head, that 
humans are our enemy. No, we have a spiritual enemy that we must battle against and even rescue our neighbors, our children, friends. Do you know that there is a spiritual battle going on for the minds and the hearts and the bodies of our children? A spiritual battle. And there are those who are caught up in this and won't say a word. There are parents that won't do their job, that won't speak the truth in love to their own children. Much less the false prophets that we have among us who stand behind a pulpit like this, unwilling to speak the truth in love. Instead, wanting to tickle the ears Now again, the Old Testament is full of false prophets, isn't it? Our reading today, you remember Jeremiah? He spoke the truth and what happened? He was actually thrown into a miry pit, which is to say a cistern. And then he not only got down into the bottom of the cistern, but then it says he sunk down into the mud. This is where people want the truth. Away out of sight, unavailable, stuck in the mud. And if we are people of the truth, which we are, the church is, then we must sometimes be stuck in the mud. Maybe we could say it this way, maybe we are to be called to be sticks in the mud. When our culture is flowing this way and the systems of this world are going that way, We are called to stand firm, to be a stick that someone can hold on to so that they don't drown and go over the edge. Is that not what we're called to as a church? Is that not what you're called to as a people? There are spiritual battles happening. I don't know where you live, but probably within 100 feet of you, next door, in your neighborhood, at your work. And we can get so caught up in our work, so caught up in our family life, so caught up in our entertainment. Listen, I'm speaking to myself. So caught up into the work of God that we forget about those who are perishing. And they don't even know it. That's the difficult task, brothers and sisters. Jesus, when he hung on the cross, when they put him there, you know what he said? Father, forgive them. Why? For they don't know what they're doing. How many people don't know what they're doing today? We're called to the same fate as our master. Deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him. Where did he go but to Golgotha to display for us sacrificial love? When, when I, I'll never forget it because it was a, a wildfire, which we're told here, right? I want a wildfire spreading all over the earth. I wish it was kindled now. It would be soon enough. But I remember when February 28, 1999 came about 8.30 at night, I finally gave in to God's way in here, in this temple. And I mean, a fire broke out. I wanted to throw everything away in my life that I could. CDs went. Remember this back in the 90s? Anybody? 
Some of you don't even know what a CD is, but I was breaking them. I was like, it's yours, God. All this devil music, you know. And of course, I listen to some of that music again now. It's just fine. But, but like at the time, I needed to burn everything down in order to follow Jesus. This is what Elisha did, didn't, it? didn't he? You remember this? He gets the cloak thrown on him, and he goes, oh, can I go tell them bye? Elijah says, sure, go ahead. He takes his entire livelihood, slaughters it, and burns it down. And then feeds everybody in that town and says, sayonara, buddy, I'm going Jesus' way. And he became, I'm sure, a stick in the mud, which he did to many kings as well. (laughs) Jeremiah, Elisha, these are prophets in the line of Jesus. In fact, Jesus is... When he asks his disciples in one of the gospels, he says, who do people say that I am? They say, Jeremiah. Not because Jeremiah did a bunch of of miracles, because he didn't. Not because Jeremiah had a bunch of conversions, because he didn't. But it was because of the faithfulness of speaking the truth in love. Are we willing to do that? To hold the line and actually disagree with people? Dear brothers and sisters, we must disagree with the flesh. What is the flesh? It's not our body. Let's, let's be clear. God created our body. The body is good. God loves our body. In fact, God has a plan for our body. God has great joy in seeing our bodies become a temple of the Holy Spirit. That is not what Paul means by the flesh, is your body. No, Paul means, Jesus means, the Bible means, <laughs> all across That flesh is the fallen, self-centered, curved in upon itself, lustfulness of our flesh, of what we want, of what Marshall wants. That must be crucified. That must be raised up to new life, not to lust, but to a self giving love to a holiness. Well, what about this other enemy of the world? This world around us is not our planet. Let's get that clear again, right? God loves our planet. He's the one who designed our planet. So when we look at the world and we say, man, I love trees or, or, or like one of these One of these thunderstorms that came in Mississippi, it was bad, it was powerful, and then I go outside, and it's still kind of raining, but it's light outside, and there was the largest rainbow I think I've ever seen in my life, and because of where I was in the country, I could see forever, it seemed like, like here, I feel like I'm limited in my sight, but there in the country, it's like big pastures, and then a row of trees, and this massive rainbow of promise right at the end of the thunderstorm. No, no, no. God loves his world. In fact, he loves his world so much there's going to be a new world just like there's a new Marshall. When God's spirit broke out into my life, February 20th, there was a new guy. And one day, in that same sort of transformation, there's going to be a new world, which means we'll have things like rainbows and the Grand Canyon and things maybe even better than that. Can you imagine And yet, the world pulls us to greed. The world pulls us 
not the planet, <laughs> but the world. The world being the disordered, sinful way that we have introduced into the material existence that we live in. And we're caught up in greed and in our way. And, you know, it, it would be ludicrous, wouldn't it? I, I, I'll never forget, in fact, I went early in the morning, like 5 o'clock, I was the only one of my crew. Everybody else was snoozing away at the Holiday Inn Express. But I wanted to see a sunrise at the Grand Canyon, and I did. And when I went there, <clears throat> I stood and I watched all these people who had gathered. Got their little blankets and everybody's snuggling because it's kind of a little chilly. And the sun hasn't come up yet. And it was just a quiet awe. No one was loudly talking. At, at best, they were whispering. No one was being weird and dumb and running around and doing this. You say, well, because it's 530, man. Well, no, there was a holy awe. And I just remember looking at all these people like, they really are in awe of what God is doing here in raising the sun up once again. And when it peaked, it was just a beautiful thing. No one stands at the edge of the Grand Canyon and says, we did this. Nobody. They understand fully there's something special going on here. There's no way we did this as humans. And you know what? That's how we should treat all of our possessions. That's how we should treat our planet is this is a gift from God. Let's use it. Let's be in awe of it, but do not make it ultimate. Do not say, oh, we can control this. We can have all these things. No, no, no. We've already, in the previous weeks, haven't we, dealt, Jesus has been dealing as we've caught him on the road. Don't be greedy. No, be giving. God gave us these sunrises, sunsets, flowers, trees. He gave us these things to be in awe at. Not to take for our own, like our first parents. Though this other spiritual enemy is, of course, the devil. And the devil tempts us with pride. And this is the way that he's going to go after us, is to make ourselves the arbiter of truth. And oh, how we struggle with this, don't we? The Bible says this, but I say this, right? It's unbelievable how blatant we will not submit to his word today. People are unwilling to see what is the truth. They cannot hear, they cannot see, because if you don't have the spirit of God, you won't be able to hear, you won't be able to see. You say, how could people believe? That's how. We must be, brothers and sisters, filled with the fire of God. His fire is not only to destroy his enemies, but it is to purify his saints. Do you remember the fire in the desert? This was God's spirit. Do you remember the fire that John the Baptist looks at Jesus and says, he is going to baptize you with Water and with fire. And Jesus here says, I'm ready to bring the fire. Because my baptism is a baptism of water and death. 
So all of you who are baptized, here's a simple application for us today. All of you who are baptized into Christ Jesus are baptized into his what? (laughs) His death, but also into his spirit. Who brings the fire? Who brings the fire? Is there a fire burning in your soul or, or is there just a little lamp flickering? At times in Israel... 1 Samuel, for instance, the fire was just flickering. Every every week we have this candle here that represents Christ's flame in the world. And in our own hearts, you can imagine there's a candle. Is it burning? Are you on fire with the flame of love who is the Holy Spirit? Or is it cold in there? Dark. Well, brothers and sisters, <laughs> good news is today that Jesus comes to bring a fire. He comes to start a fire in us. One notice that is not controlled by us. You ever notice how hard it is to control a fire? We can't do it. We're not meant to. He is an all-consuming fire and fire enlivens us it brings us to life it wakes up those around us whoa what is going on some of us need to ask the Lord to bring a fire in our soul I don't mean trying harder I don't mean doing better I mean receiving another person the third person of the Holy Trinity who purifies our virtues, and destroys our sin. It's going to cost to follow our master. But when Jesus gives us a passage like this, a real sobering one, one that pops with lightning, one that starts a fire, he puts us in a place of decision. Now, I put Jessica in a place of decision 19 years ago. I like that. <clears throat> and I, in a gymnasium at my dad's church, <clears throat> I had tricked her into getting there, um, told her my mom needed to meet with her, and then I showed up. I was supposed to be in Mississippi at college, but I showed up. And I dropped one knee, and I said, Pretty Lee? <laughs> Jessica, because I called her pretty late. That that was her um, nickname at the time. It's not anymore. Jessica, I said, will you marry me? And I was looking at her eyes. She was looking at my eyes. She had the superior position because she's up here, and she's with the decision now. I'm down here. Okay. (laughs) Got the ring. Will you marry me? Now, when you put somebody in that position, I'm just going to be frank with you, there's no way out. You say, let me just get back with you on that, okay? <laughs> hey, hey, get up. Uh, let's do this later. If there was just silence, all of this is a response, isn't it? Christ has already proposed to us to follow him. Every single one of you know what he wants. But how many of us are still 
standing there, not saying a word, not doing anything. How many of us would be able to point to evidence this week that there is a fire burning in us? That the truth tied with love is all in us and we cannot remain silent, not with our actions, not with our voice. How many of us are dead inside? Jesus calls us And he causes conflict. Families will be divided, he said. Because following Jesus is more important than your family. It's more important than our nation. It's more important than your happiness. Following Jesus is everything, dear brothers and sisters. It's everything. And we're called to follow that Lord and let him spread a fire in us. Let him fill this temple of ours and transform us so that as we move throughout the world, we can be a stick in the mud for someone to hold on to as they're passing over into eternity. Jesus already planted his stick. Are we going to join him and be crucified with him so that we too can display the self-giving love of God? Or will we try to build our little kingdoms right alongside his kingdom and be crushed in the end? You see, the fire of God can either be a sign of hope or damnation. There is no middle ground. So, Harvest Point... People in this room, people online, choose Jesus. Go with God. Let him start a fire in your soul. Only he can do that. Not you. Not me. (laughs) Not me. Only he can do that. So let him do it. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, would you do it? Amen. We're going to respond.